Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great privilege it is to be able to gather with your people before you, our Heavenly Father. But Lord, we know that we need your help. As we draw close to you this morning, as we look at your Son, Jesus Christ, and seek to understand him and how we are to live for him, O Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed touch our hearts and change us to be more like him as we listen to his voice. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through John chapter 6 together, and we've seen previously that at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus fed a large amount of people with bread and fish from a very small amount of bread and fish. He fed what is known as the 5,000, but it's actually a lot more than that uh, when you consider women and children. Then we saw that uh, Jesus walked on some water and uh, basically taught his disciples some things in verses 16 and then uh, down to 21 of John chapter 6. And then after that, we saw that the crowds continue to follow Jesus around. And they've been basically having a bit of a dialogue with Jesus, which is what we've been looking at. We see that the reason that they were following Jesus around is because initially they were just interested in the free food, the free lunch that they could get from Jesus. And Jesus says as much in verse 26 of John chapter 6. This is page 1056 of the Black Church Bibles. If you've got one there, I encourage you to have it open. 1056, John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They're just interested in Jesus for the physical food that he can provide. But Jesus then says, you actually need something more than that from me. You need the bread of life, which I am. And you need to have that. You need to receive that to have eternal life. And so he has then spoken to them about this. Uh, and they asked, what should we do that, the word, that, uh, that God requires of us in verse 28? And Jesus told them that they need to believe in him. And then they've asked for a miraculous sign in verse 30, which we looked at in some uh some detail as well, the fact that they want more miraculous signs from Jesus. And then we've basically come down to uh, Jesus continues to speak about the bread of life and the fact that they need to believe in him. And then we pick up where we left off last time at verse 41, where the Jews continue to dialogue basically with one another now, but they've got an objection against Jesus Christ. They've got an objection to Jesus and his teaching. And what is that objection? Well, it's not actually an objection to the message per se, but they're objecting to the fact of Jesus himself. They're actually going after Jesus himself now, rather than what he is teaching about the bread of life. Uh, and we see that in verse 41. It says, At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven. See what they're doing here? It's this old logical fallacy of the ad hominem argument where basically instead of dealing with the message of someone, you start to attack the person as someone that lacks credibility and you shouldn't listen to them. Basically they're saying, who does this bloke think he is talking about being the bread of life, coming down from heaven? We know this guy. He's nothing extraordinary. We know his parents. We know Joseph and Mary. We know his family. Why are we listening to this guy after all? They can't see past Christ's humanity to see that he is indeed telling the truth. He is something extraordinarily special. 
He's indeed the bread of life. And this is a common reaction. As I said before, it's a common logical fallacy that we attack someone if we don't like their message. We attack the person instead. We see this in lots of examples in our own lives as well. If someone is listening to you and they don't like what you're hearing, usually the people will attack you in some way or they don't listen to you, particularly if they know you and your family. If they know what your family's like and they think, ah, I know his family, I know that person, they're nothing special. And that's what Joseph and Mary were. They weren't anything special. They weren't religion, and Joseph wasn't a religious leader in any shape or form. He was a simple carpenter. He was a tradesman. Why should we listen to this guy spouting off religious knowledge? What does he know about such things? And we see this in our own lives as well. We see that if someone knows our family, they have less interest in what we have to say. We can even see this when we start to get to know a celebrity or we know someone who everybody else thinks is really special, but because we know their family, we know that person, we think, ah, they're not that big a deal. And we even see it within our own families. You can see, I was thinking about it with teenagers. Teenagers don't often want to listen, I, I as a teenager as well, often listen to their parents. Why? Not because of the message of the parents particularly, that it's a a bad message. They may not like the message. They may not like the things that the parents are uh, teaching them, uh, commanding them to do. But why don't they listen to their parents? Because they know their parents. They know their parents are just human like them. They know their parents make mistakes. They've lived with their mum and dad for so long. Why should I bother listening to mum and dad? I know just as much as they do. I was thinking about this with teenagers and then I... Uh, later on in the week, saw that it it starts even younger than that. I saw a six-year-old not listening to her mother, and I reflected on the fact that even at a very young age, a child will be thinking about the parents and going, why should I listen to them? I know just as much. I know better than my parents, because they're just human like me. Why should I bother listening to them? And that's what's happening here in this text. They've heard that Jesus is the bread of life that came down from heaven. But instead of listening to him, they say, verse 42, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And this is a common thing that happens throughout the ages when it comes to Jesus Christ. People have always had a problem seeing beyond Christ's humanity. Yes, they will recognise that Jesus Christ lived as a person on this world, that he was indeed human, but they won't go beyond that. The Arians in the early church did so, led by a guy called Arius. They denied Jesus' divinity. They were happy to say that Jesus was human, but they denied his divinity. They would not recognise him as one who came down from heaven. And of course, Islam is another major religion that also teaches that Jesus was human, but nothing further. He did not come down from heaven. In the Quran, it says, O people of the book, which is a reference to Christians. In some respects, I take that as a compliment. People of the book. I'd like to be known as a person of the book. Um, O people of the book, Muhammad says, Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah and his word which he bestowed on Mary and a spirit proceeding from him. So believe in Allah and his messengers. Say not three, desist, it will be better for you. For Allah is one God, glory be to him above 
having a son. They do not recognize Christ's divinity. They cannot see beyond his humanity. Yes, they will say, yes, he lived. He had a a mother, Mary, father, Joseph. But they won't see anything beyond that. And even today, we have Jehovah's Witnesses as well who call themselves Christians, denying Jesus' divinity, and even, even liberal Christians, which I see liberal Christianity as a totally other religion because of the teachings that they, they have. I was just reading this week, someone gave me a book, and it had a quote from a, a liberal Presbyterian pastor from previous century, um, very popular preacher. People used to go in large numbers to hear him. In one of his sermons on the divinity of Jesus, he says, Jesus was first and foremost a real man like other men. He was not God. He was not sent from heaven by God. A complete denial of what Jesus is teaching here in John chapter 6. It's interesting, as I was reading this book, it was written in promotion of this liberal Christianity. As I was reading it, um, it's then complaining that people never go and hear these preachers anymore. It's like, well, why would you go and listen to someone who's going to belittle Jesus Christ? What significance does that have to your life if Jesus is not indeed from heaven? And so I threw that book in the bin. It was very nice for someone to give it to me, but it's not something that is helpful for anybody to read. And modern man thinks the same as well. If there are people out there who are not interested in Christianity at all, they may have studied some things about Christianity, but they're not interested in following Christ. Why is that? Well, they may acknowledge that Jesus was here, but they will not see beyond his humanity. They will say, humanity, all of humanity has come from the primordial soup way back, thousands Millions of years, potentially, ago. Billions of years, if you want to go back even further. And so they say, we know humanity. We know what humans are like. And no one comes from heaven, unless it's the initial DNA that apparently some atheists believe now was brought here by aliens because they can't work out how it could have come any other way. We're just products of evolution. We're just, over the years, chemicals have developed, and Jesus was just a bunch of chemicals just like the rest of us. We know his father and mother, ultimately. It was a bit of bacteria. And before that, it was a little bit of DNA. That's what Jesus is. So why should we listen to him when he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven? And it's interesting that these people often think that they're proposing something new, that Jesus was simply human. That they think in all their wisdom, they've come up with something novel. The rest of humanity has always believed that Jesus is divine. But they have come up and worked out, oh no, he's just human. He's just a bunch of chemicals, just like us, and we shouldn't listen to him. But the Jews got in first. Here we are 2,000 years earlier, and there's skeptics in the Bible. It's not as though skeptics have only come along recently and started to deny Jesus' divinity. No, they're right here in the scriptures. It says there, in verse 42, they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Skepticism to the claims of Jesus' divinity, to the fact that he gives eternal life by being the bread of heaven, are not new. They're right here in the scriptures. So the question then is, why does anyone believe that Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven? Why do they believe that Jesus is something more than the product of Mary and Joseph. Well, Jesus gives an answer to this attack upon himself. 
And it's an interesting answer that he gives. And it's there for us in verse 43. Verse 43, he says, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. And then he continues into verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus understands that the reason people don't believe in him is because the Father hasn't drawn them to Jesus. The only reason anyone believes that Jesus is anything more than the product of Mary and Joseph is ultimately because the Father has drawn them to himself and then drawn them to Jesus Christ. Now, the word draw here, that's there in verse 44, um, is a Greek word that could be translated, it's used in other contexts in the New Testament and also in the Old Testament, it could be translated as drag. It often implies resistance. For example, it's used in John 21 to describe Peter dragging a net full of fish to the shore. And of course the fish don't want to come, but they're dragged into shore. And when Peter draws his sword in John chapter 18, John uses that word again there to drawing the sword, which, of course, when you draw a sword, um, it has some resistance. Of course, I don't know much about swords, but I figure when they pull it out of a scabbard, it does indeed have some resistance there. And that is a good way to describe what God does with us, that he draws us to him, and we may put up a bit of a fight at first. We may not be that interested in becoming a Christian. We may not like the idea. In fact, we may find it quite repulsive. But God works in our hearts and draws us to himself. But it's interesting this word is also not used just for dragging fish to shore and implying resistance, but it's also used particularly in the Old Testament, uh, the translation that was made of the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures into Greek. The same Greek word is used to describe people being drawn to someone in love, by being drawn with love. The woman in Song of Songs requests that her lover draw her away in uh, Song of Songs chapter 1, verse 4. There's this idea of wooing that is associated with this word of drawing that the Father does for us. And if you've ever tried to woo someone, you may have initially experienced some resistance. Think back to when you were interested in someone, if you have been there, and the initial advances you make towards that person may have met with resistance. I always say that the initial, uh, the initial advances I made towards Jill were met with resistance. She just didn't seem to be that interested. Uh, she says my advances weren't particularly um, easy to read. She thought that they weren't uh, advances in themselves, whereas I felt rejected. I felt that there was resistance. Uh, but we know this, that when you show love to someone... There can be resistance, but in time, if you're successful in expressing that love to that person, they're often won over and they willingly come to you. It's not as though they unwillingly come as you show love to them. No, they are turned and they willingly come to you. And that is actually the way that the word is used, this word draw, is used about God's love for us in Jeremiah 31 verse 3. It says there that God speaks to his people and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that is how God brings us to himself. He draws us with loving kindness. 
as we understand his great love for us, that he would send his one and only son to die for us, we initially may be resistant to the idea and need a bit of dragging towards God. But as we understand his love, as we learn more about him, we are drawn to him. And so the reason people become a Christian is because God teaches them about himself and introduces them to a love that they've never known from anybody else in this world. And that's what Jesus says in the next verse. In verse uh, 45, he's, in verse 44, he speaks about the fact that uh, people are drawn to him. And then in verse 45, he says, It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Who are those who come to Jesus? Who accept his teaching? Who accept that he is the bread of life? It's those that the God that the Father draws who are willing to be taught by him and learn from him, and then they want to know about the person that he has sent, the person who knows God best, and that is Jesus. Jesus actually says as much in verse 46. He goes on after saying that it's people who are taught by God that will believe in him. He says in verse 46, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. If you're a person who is taught by God, then you'll quickly be taught about Jesus Christ. And the one that has seen the Father, the one who knows the Father better, better than anybody else, and you will be drawn to him and understand that he is the bread of life and you will want to eat of him, believe in him, look to him, drink of him, so that you have that eternal life as well. So the reason... People do not believe in Jesus Christ is because the Father has not drawn them ultimately. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't believe that Jesus is from heaven, you may have all kinds of reasons why that is the case, why you're still continuing to reject Jesus Christ. It may be that you use the argument like the Jews did here, that Jesus was just a human. It was just a product of Mary and Joseph who were just a product of maybe a long line of people going back to a fish. And so I shouldn't have to listen to him. Or it may be another reason. Maybe your reason is that you can't see God. If God would reveal himself, I'd believe in him. Or maybe it's that the Bible is full of errors. How can you believe this book? It's not trustworthy. It's full of contradictions. Or maybe it's that you don't believe a good God would allow humans to suffer. Why is there so much pain and suffering in this world. If God is all-powerful and he's all-loving and all-good, then how can there be suffering in this world? How can I experience pain in my life? And so, of course, I do not believe in Jesus. Other arguments you may have is that science disproves God, or it may be that I wasn't born in a Christian family. If I'd been born in a Muslim family, I'd be a Muslim. If I was born in a Hindu family, I'd be a Hindu. If I was born in a Christian family, I'd be a Christian. And I wasn't born in a Christian family, so of course I'm not a Christian. That's your reason for not being a Christian. It may be that you just think Christianity is a myth. Evolution explains my origins, that Christ dying on the cross is an example of child abuse. What father would send his child to die on a cross? How can I believe in such a God? Or it may be that you just think God is completely unjust, that he doesn't do what is right, and you sit in judgment on him and think that he is not someone worthy of your faith. 
These are all reasons that are proposed by people. These are just a few of the reasons that are given for why people don't believe in Jesus Christ. But none of these are reasons, ultimately. They're not the reason. They're just excuses to reject Jesus. What is the reason that people don't come to Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus tells us there in John 6, 44, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. The thing is, you are blind until God gives you light. You are dead until God raises you. And so you will always reject God. You will reject his messenger, Jesus, as well. If God does not draw draw you to himself. And so if that is you this morning, and you've never been drawn by God, you've never accepted Jesus is from heaven, then you need to stop grumbling, as Jesus says there in verse 43. Stop grumbling about me. Stop going on about my humanity. Stop grumbling about Jesus being only human and come to Christ. Stop behaving like a six-year-old who thinks he he or she knows better than everybody else because they're all human as well. And what would they know? I know what's right. And that goes for the children in church this morning as well. Don't behave like a six-year-old. Be more mature than many adults and accept Jesus Christ. Jesus is far more than a human. He is indeed the bread of life from heaven. And if you don't accept this, then I encourage you to beg of the Father to draw you by his love this morning. Come to him now and ask, Lord, drag me to yourself. Draw me to yourself. With cords of loving kindness, bring me into your arms. Because if you don't do it, I can't come. I will always resist. You need to draw me, O God. Come to him and beg him to show his love to you this morning so that you accept that Jesus is indeed the bread of life that came down from heaven. And if you are a Christian and you're here this morning, realise and remember that you are only a believer because the Father drew you. Otherwise, you'd be grumbling like these Jews did 2,000 years ago, going on about how Jesus was just a human. The fact that you accept that Jesus is from heaven demonstrates that the Father has drawn you all by his loving kindness. And so you should be thanking God regularly and giving glory to God that he drew you, whether it be a few weeks ago, months ago, years ago, decades ago. You should be thanking the Lord and praising him. I've been reading Spurgeon's autobiography over the last uh, few weeks. I read it many years ago and I'm rereading it and thoroughly enjoying it. It's a longer edition this time around. But Spurgeon was a preacher in uh, the 1800s, a very famous Baptist preacher. And he was speaking about how he became a Christian and what happened before he became a Christian Uh, the, the work that God did, and how it had to be all of God in it. He says, When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. I can recall the very day and hour when I first received those truths, the doctrines of grace, which we're talking about this morning, the, the fact that God draws us, 
I can recall the very day and hour when I first received those truths in my own soul, when they were, as John Bunyan says, burnt into my heart as with a hot iron, and I can now recollect how I felt that I had grown on a sudden from a babe into a man, that I had made progress in scriptural knowledge through having found once for all that clue to the truth of God. He had found that the Lord had drawn him. He says, one weeknight when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. Hopefully um, that's not the case for you this morning. You're sitting here not thinking much about the preacher's sermon because you do not believe it. But he was there, and he was obviously under a preacher that um, maybe not someone that uh, you should go and hear. But the thought struck him. How did you become a Christian? So he's talking to himself. How did you become a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. But how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day and I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Spurgeon knew John 6:44 that no one comes to the Father unless they're drawn. And he knew that he didn't come to the Father, he didn't come to Jesus, except that God drew him. And he ascribed it wholly to God and gave praise to God for the rest of his life. Is that what you're doing? As you read something like John 6.44 and truly grasp that it's all of God that you have become a Christian, that you have accepted anything to do with Jesus Christ. It's all of God. And so you give him the glory. When was the last time you considered how you became a Christian? And praise God. It should be something that we regularly do in prayer. In our quiet times, when we pray with others, we should be praising God that he drew us unto himself. And the other thing that you can do if you understand John 6, 44 correctly as a Christian, it's not just praise God, but be encouraged when your evangelistic efforts appear to be failing. Evangelistic efforts means when you seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, when you tell others to believe in Jesus as the bread of life. Because don't be surprised if people don't respond. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and have shared the good news about Jesus with others, you'll have seen many people reject what you have to say. They don't respond. I can testify that to, uh, to that from my own life. It happens all the time. I tell people about the need to believe in Jesus and they just don't respond. And that often happens. If you are faithfully teaching the gospel, the reason people reject your efforts is the same reason that the Jews rejected Jesus so long ago. And remember, Jesus was the perfect preacher. He was without sin. Whenever he preached, he didn't make any mistakes. He always said what was right. He always spoke the very word of God because he was God himself. And yet people... And an issue with him. They rejected him. Why? Because the Father didn't draw those people to himself. And it's the same for us today. As you share the good news of Jesus Christ, don't be surprised when people don't respond because 
The Father is the one who draws people to himself. Jesus doesn't seem that surprised when they grumble there. He tells them off. He gives them the reason why they're, not re- uh, why they're rejecting him. But he doesn't seem that surprised. And we have to remember that people will reject us as well. The only reason people come to the Father is because the Father draws them. And so we should keep going, knowing that the Father does indeed draw some. See, this message also gives us hope. God does draw people to himself. And there's people in this room who can testify to that fact. That the same God 2,000 years ago that was drawing some to Jesus then is still drawing people to himself today. And we are living examples of that. And so you should keep on sharing about Jesus. Because that's what Jesus does. He tells them that none of them will come to him unless the Father draws. But then what does he do? He goes on to tell them about himself again. He's already told them that he's the bread of life. When you read John chapter 6, it starts to sound a bit repetitive. But what's Jesus teaching us to do here? He's teaching us to keep on telling the same message to the people. And eventually it may sink in because the Father draws those people. I mean, that's what he does in verse 47. And on, he says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. He's already told them he's the bread of life. But here he goes again. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He tells them that they're rejecting him because the father hasn't drawn them. And then what does he do? He goes on and tells them about him being the bread of life. He doesn't shrink back from it. He keeps on telling them. And that's what we should do as well. If we understand that it's the Father who does the drawing and our responsibility is simply simply to do the telling of who Jesus is, then we should persist in doing it. We should keep on doing it. We should be like a child that is looking for fish in the water, throws the bread out and then just waits for the fish to come up. They can't do anything to make the fish come other than throw the bread out there. They have to be drawn by some other force to come up and eat the bread on top of the water. And that's what we do as Christians. We've got the bread of life. We know what the bread of life is. We throw it out there and wait for the fish to come. Wait for the Lord to draw those fish to eat that bread. And we just keep on doing it. This actually gives you persistence. This truth about God drawing people gives us persistence, perseverance in evangelism. Because you know it's not up to you ultimately whether people become Christians or not. It's about the Father drawing that person. And so you keep on sharing the gospel. You keep on telling people about Jesus. And in time, by God's grace, you may see a nibble and then a bite and someone become a Christian because of the words that you have shared And because the fact of the Father drawing that person to himself. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're still not a believer in Jesus Christ, you still haven't accepted him, well, I can do nothing other than tell you once again that Jesus is indeed the bread of life, that he is the bread that came down from heaven. He is the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread 
is Jesus' flesh, it says there in verse 51, which he gives for the life of the world. Come to him, feed on him now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the words of Jesus Christ here that give such encouragement to our souls, particularly those of us who have believed in him for many years. Lord, it is so marvellous to know that you are at the bottom of our coming to you, that you were the one who drew us to yourself, that you wooed us with love to yourself. And so, Lord, we thank you for it and we praise you for it as a marvellous God who draws people to himself. And, Lord, we do also pray for us as we share the good news with others. Lord, we pray that you would give us perseverance, knowing that ultimately it's not up to us, but it's up to you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would discharge our office faithfully of sharing that Jesus is the bread of life. And we pray that you in your mercy, in your love, would continue to draw people as we share this message. And, Lord, we do also pray for anyone here this morning who has got some excuse as to why they do not believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would win them in your love to yourself this morning, that they would stop making up excuses as to why Jesus is not their saviour. Instead, Lord, we pray that they would embrace him even now by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.